The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we work for. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they are told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Identity. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast dedicated to the journey and the challenges surrounding the life and career of Aviator Tony and his guests. Together, we will explore the many pathways to an aviation profession, the realities of what a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony an airline pilot currently flying for a legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 34 of Squawk Ident, recorded on the 24th of March, 2020, from the Aviator Sound Studios somewhere in Southern California. On this episode of Squawk Ident, I am so very happy to be joined by a dear friend here on Squawk Ident and my very first flight instructor, Captain Luca. He joins us from a mandatory quarantine in Vicenza, Italy. Also, for the first time together, I am joined by two of my fellow aviators and co-hosts here on Squawk Ident, Captain Roger and Rob D. We are going to catch up with Captain Luca and explore how his journey has flipped on a dime with the events surrounding this global pandemic. He has been in a countrywide mandatory lockdown at his home where he has been spending time with his family. We are going to hear how they have all stayed sane while under quarantine, and we will explore how these events have affected his aviation career. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show, right after a brief word from our sponsors. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. I want to take this time to give a special thank you to Captain Nathan for spending the time with us on episode 33 of Squawk Ident. We enjoyed hearing all about Captain Nathan's journey in aviation and how promising the future of his career is bound to be. We discussed how the shifting tide of the industry has started to affect the varied sides of the airline and corporate operators in the U.S. thus far. In today's show, we will take a look at how Italy's aviation market is weathering this storm. Let's start off the show today by introducing an exceptional aviator. He joins us from his spectacular chateau in San Diego, California. He is a CFI MEI flight instructor, a former Embraer 145 airline pilot, a King Air instructor, a Western Grape bird strike survivor, a captain at a corporate operator and just a class act guy. Captain Roger. Roger, what have you been up to? 
Well, not much. I think that that like a lot of people in our country and and around the world, um, there's not a whole lot going on. But most of my time these days has been uh, been homeschooling my two kids. Actually, and, not so much know, flying, just um, be, being a teacher. That is a very big challenge, my friend. A very big challenge. And have they been uh, climbing the walls and driving you nuts? Absolutely. You know, it's kind of. And I'm sure there might be some shame, some shaming involved in it. But the, the the balancing with when you've got two kids and mine are in elementary school age, they want to go outside and they want to play. Is is that okay if they go outside? And some some other kids, they're they're kept inside. They're not allowed to play. It, some are. You know, there, I think there's just a lot of questions, and we're just kind of, you know, for lack of better terms, we're just kind of winging it right yeah. now. Yeah, and at this point, we're not under the mandatory lockdown. It's just a, uh, you know, recommended to stay in place, stay at home. Hashtag stay home, right? This is flooding the internet right now. Um, but yeah, what we're doing is, you know, every day we spend about 30 minutes and we get in the car. There are plenty of outdoor parks around here. Uh, they are not deserted, but, you know, they, they definitely have a, a lower traffic volume at the park than usual. And we walk, we walk for about 30 minutes just because we got to get oxygen to the brain and get off that, uh, that mind control screen that the kids find themselves on. So yeah, you know, my hat's off to you, Roger. It's, it's tough, especially with the kids at that age. It is. And, but you know, it's, it's something that we're all going through and, you know, I feel fortunate enough to, um, that, that we're all healthy and, and all things considered, the kids are happy we're happy and 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 we'll we'll get we'll get through this. Yeah, for sure. And let's uh introduce our next co-host. We are very fortunate to be joined today from his estate home in Flower Mound, Texas. He is a former international and professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G club, an AMP and avionics tech as well, and currently a 737 pilot for a US legacy carrier. Rob D, what the heck is going on with you? Hey, what's going on, Tony? How's it going, Roger? All right, how are you? Oh, man, uh, probably the same way you are, just trying to keep the kids entertained and um, trying to get through this day by day. Yeah, and and Rob, our schedules, and we might be able to talk about this a little bit later, but our schedules are rapidly deteriorating in front of our very eyes, aren't they? Oh, they sure they sure are. I did. I got a notification this morning that um, one of my flights have canceled. So um, I know what I know what I need to do. But yeah, the things things are uh, changing rapidly. So uh, gonna have to uh, just make sure we fly by the book, and <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> just uh, just do our part and keep the company going. Yeah, a lot of company emails about uh, not violating sterile cockpit, being focused on the task at hand, acting and uh, displaying the absolute professionalism during this time. I know everybody's uh, you know, topic of discussion has been what has been surrounding us completely in this industry, which is the coronavirus and the COVID-19 disease and, and how it's really affecting all of our lives and every aspect of that. Today... I have, you know, just been honored to to have a guest returning to the show. We introduced him to Squawk Ident uh, in episode 21 back in, I think it was back in January. Uh, 
He and I first met in the year 2000 when I had my first discovery flight and thus began the birth of my journey in aviation. He was the first flight instructor that helped mold my passion for aviation. He holds type ratings in Fokker 27, a Fokker 50, and an ATR 72. He's currently living and working for an airline that we call Zulu Air here on the show. Joining us all the way from his home country in Northern Italy, where he currently is under countrywide mandatory quarantine. We are going to discuss how he has been coping with it all and what it means for his journey looking ahead. Please help us in welcoming back to the show, Captain Luca. Luca, ciao. Hi guys, hi Anthony. How are you ciao. doing? How are you guys? No, thank you for having me here. There is a little bit here. Yeah, absolutely. Last time we spoke it was January 29th, and it was kind of before most of this virus situation was happening. And, you know, we kind of talked about the future and, and your journey. And again, I just want to say thank you so much for, for talking to me about that. Um, and I'm very honored to have you today uh, to kind of get your perspective on what you're going through in Italy. How has everything been since last we spoke? Well, first of all, I'm honored to be here again. And uh, thank you for having me here uh, one more time. And, uh, well, uh, life is uh, like in the United States at the moment, except for the uh, the forced quarantine that we uh, we are experiencing. Uh, I'm a father of three, and also I'm teaching, I'm uh, gardening, I'm trying to do everything that uh, you guys are exactly doing the same way in, uh, in the United States. Uh, the problem here that is that we had a lot of death, like uh, uh, you can hear on the news, and uh, and that's scary because this coronavirus looks like, first of all, it's very contagious, and uh, it's, it is spreading very quickly, looks like around the, uh, Europe, around uh, all the countries, basically all around the world, I guess. And uh, and second is because we don't have a cure yet. So that's the only um, way. Again, I'm not a doctor, so I, I'm just repeating what uh, people are saying here in, on the news. Uh, the only way to, to fight against this uh, virus is to stay away from it. And the quarantine is the only method they found until now to to fight against this this stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm at home as well. In sense, mean, meaning that I'm not flying. Uh, last uh, last flight I had was the um, I think was the 28th, no, 29th of February. So it's not too long ago, but about a month almost. Yeah. And how's your family coping with uh, all this time that you have? Yeah, she just bring me a, a cup of tea, so she's she's doing very well. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> hey, hold on. Where's my wife? Hey, honey. <laughs> Shake a leg, woman. You you don't have the little bell or the buzzer? Ma, oh. ma, ma. Here we go. Ma, now, now you're showing you your. God. <laughs> Rob, you wish. <laughs> You're on the side. <laughs> oh Sorry. My God. Distraction. Go ahead. I think oh you might need to God. apologize to her, not to us. <laughs> she just poked her head in the, in the door. I, I believe that. The, Did you, give, you know, get the some, look? Some eye daggers. I was like, ah, sorry. <laughs> she comes in like. Just for entertainment, honey. 
<laughs> yeah. Looks like I'm cooking so, dinner. Okay. <laughs> well, we need to, we need a good laugh, laugh, laugh a good laugh anyway. Yes, thank time. you guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess, yeah. this yeah. this is what we need more of. I mean, I've I've told the girls here at home, you know, exactly. turn the TV. We're not talking about news. I know. And my wife, she's very. She's like, okay, turn that off. We're not talking about this. We're not talking about that. And we're really trying to mold how we control the tone and the attitude in the house because all this stuff is going outside of the house and in the house this is the drama free zone right here so all the drama is outside now i've had to adjust how i come i'm still flying uh as you you may know um a lot of it's been canceled especially all the hawaii stuff because of the court mandatory quarantine there um, and they've decided, at least at Legacy Airlines, they've decided to only allow the 777 to fly in and out of two of the islands, which is Honolulu and Maui. Uh, so all the narrow body stuff, which is what I'm on, the, the 321, is uh, going to be canceled sporadically throughout the, the near future until we kind of recuperate from all this, which is anybody's guess to when that's going to be. So they're, they started canceling all this stuff. And... Now I come home and Julie says, okay, uh, there's a table in the garage. You will strip in the garage, come in, take a shower, no shoes, no clothes, no jacket, no uniform, no suitcase, nothing's allowed in the house. And we have a little quarantine area. The only thing that's missing is the, uh, the, the spray of the alcohol solution before I walk in the house, the, the, the quarantine zone, you know, you are free from contaminants, you know? Um, but that's, that is the, now the new norm and yeah, it's kind of scary, you know, to, to, to have to deal with all this. So when we are at home, when we are together, other than the occasional film that we're watching, just to kind of help make light of how serious this, this, uh, you know, contagion event is in the world. Um, yeah, we watch movies that have to do with contagious diseases. I think we just watched Mission Impossible 2 the other day with the mm-hmm. climate virus, how Ethan Hunt saves the day at the last second, you know? So, you know, <laughs> we have that going on, but for the most part, we're, uh, we're a Corona free household in terms of the news. Nice. So. Yeah. But, you know, Luca, it's, it sounds like you're, you're doing very well with um, having to be at home and, and you have plenty of space to roam, thankfully. My cousin uh, in, in Rome is scared to leave the house. My uncle is, is got the respirator mask and the gloves and the, and the goggles. And if he has to go to the store to buy food, he's, he, I mean, he looks like he's in a hazmat suit because he's very, very scared, especially downtown Rome. Everyone's stacked on top of each other. It's scary. Yeah, yeah. Um, normally, we decided that my wife is she's gonna go to uh, the supermarket. We normally uh, shop once a week at the moment, mm-hmm. one to twice a week maximum, I guess. So I try to avoid her to go out too uh, too quickly, too, uh, too often. I mean, yeah. But um, uh, yeah, we are using the same uh, method. We use the you know dusk mask, uh, dust mask, and a respiratory mask. I don't know how you call it. I know there is a. Uh, a code uh, FFP two or three. This is the minimum filtration that you can use. Any kind 
kind of mask, but it has to have at least that kind of a filtration coefficient. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, she's using gloves as well. And when she comes home, washes everything and uh, like basically what you're doing at the moment. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty scary uh, because uh, because we don't know really the future of it, how it is going to develop, and uh, and uh, how bad will affect everybody. That that's that's. Uh, the scary part for me and also because we are trying to do our best and i hope everybody's doing their best in their own house in their own way to protect themselves and the others and the people surrounding them yeah um again i'm very very lucky to live in a countryside normally i would say no i have plenty of work to do so i'm really really not that lucky man because i live in a countryside but at the moment, yes, I'm really happy to be here because um, I have a space, enough space to go running around, jogging with my dog and in my fields around, and I spend my time in that way. Yeah. If I was in a uh, stuck in a, in a, in a flat, well, the, the life would be much different for me. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, and I I was speaking with my uncle uh, Marcello. He's uh, He's in uh, Monte Rotondo. It's uh, just east of, uh, I think, of Rome. I want to say, or mm. maybe I have that wrong. I'm not sure, but he's uh, he's outside of Rome, uh, to the east, and uh, lives in the countryside. And for him, I mean, he's up there in age, and but he's got acreage of land and fruit trees and gardens and things. So he has enough to keep Another him busy. Lock, yeah. yeah, like you, he's he's uh, in good shape. Uh, his closest neighbor is, <laughs> you know, hundreds of meters away. So, um, yeah, thankfully, exactly. thankfully, he's, uh, you know, in an area, at, especially at his age, uh, where he's not in a flat, like you said, uh, because that can be uh, very daunting. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. when this whole... I mean, you decided to pull yourself out, you said, a little bit ahead of the mandatory lockdown. How did that happen? Yeah, well, we, because we started hearing uh, uh, the spreading of the disease uh, in another area of, uh, of Italy, they started in, uh, in a place, uh, it's called the uh, Co... I forgot, uh, Volpadovano, Vo I think, it was is a little town... Uh, south of uh, Padova, which is approximately 35 minutes driving from here. And that was considered red zone right away. And that was probably middle of February. So when I came back from uh, from my last flight, <clears throat> I actually went, after that, I went to the simulator. So I don't consider that a flight. And then I will tell you the story about the simulator because it was, was yes. another story that I went to. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I came back and then um, the school, they said, okay, the next day was going to close. They were going to close. So they said, uh, okay, we, we, we lock ourselves in, pretty much lock in. I mean, in the sense that we were still walking around without masks, but with the, you know, with the idea in, our, on the, in the back of our heads that we had to be careful. And uh, so staying away from the people, staying away from, from the closest relatives, especially the older ones, and, uh, and, and so on. My wife was the first one actually to agree with that. And uh, we explained the kids uh, what we were going to do. And uh, at the beginning, they were not believing it. You know, they were not 
and probably not understanding the severity of uh, of this. Yeah. And then now, actually, they are taking care of it so as well. So they wash their hands a little bit more thorough, thorough and uh, and uh, yeah. I think our behavior, our future will change after this for sure a little bit. Yeah. It's affecting everybody. Yeah. Well, so were you, how did you get out of work? Did they just say, okay, well, you want to quarantine at home and they pulled you off of flying or how did that work? Oh, yeah. Uh, The, uh, after my last flight, I came home for two days and then uh, I was supposed to go to Amsterdam for my simulator. And uh, so I went to Amsterdam, no problem till that time. And that was the 2nd of March. Um, the same day I arrived in Amsterdam, I was supposed to do the sim session at night. So it was 8 o'clock approximately, now 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. We, uh, uh, um, the TRE, the, sorry, yeah, the TRE, my colleague and, and I, we took the bus, to, the, the, the taxi to go to, uh, to the sim. Uh, we enter the sim and is uh, um, in the sim you have to register when you enter and it shows uh, uh, it is, the, the system it will ask you the nationality. So myself and the TRI and the TRE are Italian. And so we put Italian. And so a big red flag came on and, uh, and the lady at the front desk said, uh, where are you from? So he said, we're from Italy. And uh, but you just arrived from Italy, yes. I said, coming from Venice, and Venice again is not too far away from the first this red zone that I was telling you before. Yeah, and uh, so the, the lady said, Sorry, but we are not accepting Italians anymore. And I said, What? What, what does it mean? You know, so we uh, we call for we asked for uh, for the supervisor, and he came down with a with a A4 size piece of paper which uh, was saying uh, Chinese, uh, South Korean, and Italians are not allowed to enter CAE facilities except in Rome and Milan, which are, of course, in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, they kick us out from that place. And yeah. we, we were complaining because they said, you know, you should have told us before so the company didn't spend all this money to send us from our country to uh, Holland and blah, blah, blah. And they said, uh, yeah, but this was a decision that was made this morning. So Uh everything was at the last minute. So it was a very short notice decision. Uh, We went back to to the hotel. Uh, We spoke with the company. We told them our problem. They organized another different simulator in um, Vienna, in Austria. So we flew to Austria. Uh, we did uh, uh, three days later. We did uh, our simulator and two days of simulator, of course, and uh, and then was the day to come back. You know, and uh, the first flight to Germany, actually, the first two flights to Germany were cancelled for me going back to Italy. So I had to postpone the, the departure again. And then I found a flight from Frankfurt back to Italy at the last minute, and I, I was able to take that one. So I came back home, and uh, the next day. Basically, they closed all the flights into Venice. And uh, so I was lucky to come back home. And the company at that moment were still uh, reluctant, let's say, to, uh, to, you know, to say, okay, you stay home completely. And uh, they scheduled me for um, uh, recurrent training, I think was in Zurich uh, the week after. Uh, But then they, after a day or two, we showed them, 
I you know I call the company the owner of the company is also half Italian half uh, Swiss, and um, and they uh, they said uh, yeah okay don't, don't worry stay home for the moment you know follow your country um, regulations and rules that come out and so. Company wise, they are not. Uh, they have no problem. For the moment, we're still flying uh, in the northern uh, Europe and still active with the, using the pilots that we have. They're, the colleagues are very, very uh, keen to help. Of course, during this time, people that are instead of normally we fly two weeks on, two weeks off. But they, of course, agree that this um, during this time they will. They will fly only, you know, for as long as the uh, the regulation permit allows them to do that. Yeah. So. Yeah, wow. I think that's one of the one of the interesting things about this is just how quick things are changing, especially oh, in, yeah. the, in smaller, you know, continents like Europe, where your countries are more like our states, and every single country has different rules and regulations about entering the country and exiting the country and who's allowed and when it's allowed. And kind of in your case, I mean, that couldn't change while you're in flight or the morning exactly. of, and everything just changes so fast. I keep, I get email after email after email about, you know, we obviously have Canada and Mexico. Well, okay, we're going to stop all non-essential to, to uh, Canada and Mexico is kind of a, a quasi should we go or should we not? I, was, I actually had the opportunity to go down to Mexico this week, which I can't personally for that reason because I don't want to end up getting stuck somewhere because in, in your case, again, when you were trying to come home, it, it's it's such a challenge with everything changing on a on an hourly basis, if exactly. not even daily. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, it, it is. It is challenging for that reason. It's challenging for the companies. Well, I mean, uh, the company I'm flying for, uh, it, it's a kind of a, Family, uh, you know, we are basically uh, 60 pilots, and that's it, basically, at the moment. So it's very tiny. But the, the business, because we're flying cargo, is still going, it's still working, you know. So uh, for the moment, they, they need us to be on the line and to, and to keep going. The problem, because we are based at home, and then uh, the company will move us to wherever uh, we have the, uh, you know, the the, the 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 job going, or where wherever the aircraft are based, um, becomes a problem because uh, the, the, we cannot find. You know, I told the company now that I can drive, but to, 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 I have to drive probably for three days to reach my my uh, my base. You know, yeah. so it would be it would be crazy. So, but uh, yeah, I. It's difficult. It's difficult, and I really hope that the uh, the company will will survive for that because it's difficult. If you do drive in in a situation like that, would they stop you at the border? Yeah, in some of the countries, yes. At the moment, they, for example, the the non essential uh, non essential trips, non essential uh, jobs. So our job is considered essential at the moment. Mm-hmm. So we will be able to try two uh, uh, countries because I fall, I carry with me a document which I'll, I, which is kind of stupid, really document, but this is what they come up with. Is a yes, yes, it's a self um, evaluation document. Let's say is a uh, is an undersigned by myself document where I state that I'm uh, I'm healthy and I haven't. Uh, had any fever or or any symptoms ah. uh, related to, let's say, coronavirus. Right. 
And uh, that document goes together with the document from, from the company, which states that uh, I have to go and drive to that particular place for work. With those two documents, I'm supposed to be able to drive through all Europe at the moment. Mm. But uh, like we were saying before, it's, it, the thing can change daily or hourly. And yeah. some countries, for example, Holland and Denmark, they are not allowing anybody to come in, for example. Mm. So I don't know at what level. Uh, if really is anybody together with uh, maybe the commercial trucks and, and stuff like this, or or just just uh, you know tourist, I, I'm not really sure about the others. Yeah, yeah. Here, you know, the world is watching Italy right now because Italy has surpassed China in terms of uh, the number of people that have died from COVID nineteen, and you know now here in America. Every day, hour by hour, we're getting uh, new restrictions, new lockdowns. Each municipality, each state is going through their, you know, increased level of isolation for its residents. And here in America, flight crew are also considered uh, essential um, services for now. And, you know, what has developed here in the last... 48 hours is the travel from the mainland to Hawaii. Uh, I was in Honolulu the other day and on, on a layover. And again, they're asking all residents to go into a voluntary uh, lockdown, if you will, a self-quarantine. All the stores uh, that were non-essential were all shuttered. And the only thing that was open was the drug stores, the grocery stores, and the restaurants but only for takeout or delivery. So whenever you'd go into a restaurant, they wouldn't even let you in the building. They had some tables at the front door, and you could order food uh, and take it home with you, or you can order for delivery, one of these delivery services. Um, and while I was out there, the governor announced that Hawaii was going to put a travel restriction on all incoming residents and visitors to Hawaii starting Thursday at 12.01 a.m. And that restriction is a 14-day mandatory quarantine. So if you're traveling to Hawaii as of Thursday at 12.01 a.m., you will be required, if you're a visitor, to stay in your hotel for 14 days uh, or stay in your home if you're a resident for 14 days. And if you are caught outside of that property, it is a up to $5,000 fine and up to one year in imprisonment. Um, now, flight crew are exempt from this rule. However, the TSA will check the temperature of all incoming flight crew members. Any crew member over the temperature of 100.4 degrees will be then required to be under a mandatory quarantine. So if you land and you're running a fever, 14 days, you're, you're done. The only way you yeah. can get out of that is to leave the state. So if you are under a 14-day quarantine and you decide, this isn't for me, I'm going to go back to the mainland, you are then allowed to make the appropriate reservations, go back to the airport, get back on an airplane and get out of there, which, you know, only if you're not running a fever or symptomatic. So Hawaii was the first. And Rob, were you telling me that there's another state that is also following suit? 
Yeah, that's correct, Tony. Uh, this morning I was uh, chatting with a friend of mine who's in New Orleans, and he is uh, he works out on the oil rigs out there in the uh, the Gulf there. And he was getting ready to make his way up to Rhode Island, which is where I'm from. And uh, so he'd fly naturally into uh, Providence's TF Green Airport. And um, he was saying that uh, that uh, the the governor or the mayor had put this pretty much the same uh, restrictions on travelers as Hawaii did, meaning that anybody traveling internationally or domestically domestically would be put under a 14-day, and in this case, a self-quarantine, self-imposed quarantine rule. And uh, uh, he, I, I was looking it up. I actually went to the uh, the airport's uh, website, and they it only mentioned international travelers. Um, and I had to dig a little deeper and actually go to the, uh, the you know, Rhode Island government, went to the governor, and then, of course, on, on their page, it said that all international and domestic travelers traveling into the state uh, by air is a 14-day uh, yeah. self-quarantine. I'm not sure, yeah. you know, what the technical dif difference of that is, other than you know mandatory. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, it sounds like it's uh, it's getting the, it's the same thing. Yeah, self-quarantine. Yeah. Even in Hawaii, it's a self-quarantine. They're not going to put you somewhere. You know, you're responsible. They right, even right. in the uh, in the notice uh, that I read, you are responsible for the financial um, responsibilities of quarantining yourself. So, you know, it's just yeah. that if you get caught on the street, I don't know how they're going to figure that out. But I mean, in Honolulu the other day, the there were I was uh, I went for a run because you are allowed to do uh, what, you know, is considered solo exercise. You can do that as long as you're six feet away from someone, which we, we were having a discussion the other day. It's like, okay, so you and the family get in the car, you know, you're all, you know, a couple inches from each other and you drive <laughs> to the park. Now you're six feet apart while you're walking, you know, and then you get back in the car <laughs> and, you know, yeah, yeah. but a family is well, considered a group. So, you know, it, it's, uh, yeah. you're in one, you're considered one entity, but like, if you, you know, go pick yeah. up your buddy down the street, you know, you got to stay six feet from them. Uh, I also saw a very good uh, photo of all the dads in the cul-de-sac uh, out front. It was just right out of King of the Hill, man. They were all drinking beers out front, talking, and they were all minimum six feet away from each other in a big circle, drinking beer. And, and you know, that's hilarious. Hey, if you're going to quarantine, that's that's there's, the way to do it. <laughs> but um, there, yeah, there there are some similar uh, situations like that going on in my town. Uh, there, we're we're uh, we're really close to our uh, high school here, which obviously has a lot of high school sports stuff outdoors. And, um, there's a lot of families and dads that got their Texas trucks backed up to each other, six feet apart, tailgate down. And they're just sitting there sip, sipping a drink and chit chatting six feet apart. Uh, it's, it's quite hysterical. There's like group, there was like three or four groups of those, uh, it, around the parking lot going on. So it was quite comical just to see it happening. It's the dads <laughs> of Walmart or dads of target, Which one, the dads of target. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, YouTube that Dad's of <laughs> Actually, Target. I have a, I have a question for Luca, and and for, forgive me uh, for my ignorance. I'm not I I don't travel out of the country too much, and I'm not familiar with your uh, particular situation. But I, I notice obviously you have a beautiful property out there on the countryside, 
And I'm just curious because I, I live in a uh, suburb of Dallas. And, you know, when we when we have to uh, stock up on supplies and stuff, you know, we go to the local grocery store and stuff like that. What where do, uh, I'm not familiar. How how are you guys uh, doing stuff like that? I mean, you obviously have to have a food supply, drink supply. What what do you guys just go to the local grocery store also and and get meats and, and eggs and all that stuff or are you guys uh, kind of growing it in your garden or or, you know, if you have chickens out in the backyard, I mean, I'm, I'm clueless. Help me out. Yeah. No, I know. It's okay. No, again, I'm lucky because I have some backyard, uh, some land on the back. And I have a, a friend of mine, a, a guy that lives uh, next door, which has, uh, he asked me a piece of land here to uh, put some chicken in it. So we have eggs and chickens and ducks actually uh, running around the backyard, which can help in 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 a crisis situation. <laughs> in a but crunch, normally, yeah. normally we have a, we, yeah about two hundred yards away. There is the first grocery store, which is uh, okay. has everything. Uh, at the moment, there is a line because also the the um, the government said that uh, of course the distance of one meter is the minimum. One yard is the minimum between people. So what they came up with is that uh, they will restrict the number of people entering the grocery stores. In that way, it's not too crowded and they don't spread the disease in that way. Uh, but we're still receiving all the food. We still have everything. So there is not a big, big rush. Of course, yeah. in the being in major cities, uh, like Milan, uh, we noticed that a lot of people are, uh, you know, running with the fear of uh, not having food. But uh, seriously, this is not the case. I don't. I don't think we we'll, we will end up in that direction. That's for sure. So you have toilet um, paper. Yes. I was just gonna ask. No, miles I and miles. <laughs> And I know, Luca, I think you saw that photo I posted on the social media there of the empty shelves yeah, in the grocery store. That. Every grocery store yes. right now in this country is has empty. Sh the only thing you're going to find is mustard and ketchup. <laughs> and there's a line around Costco every single morning with hundreds of people six feet apart waiting in line starting at 530 in the morning. And, and I have friends at Costco that tell me all day long. All day long because they only let about twenty to twenty-five people in the store at a time. So the store is inside mm -hmm. is empty, Same. but they're run mm -hmm. out of all the like. I wanted to buy uh, isopropyl alcohol, seventy-five percent isopropyl alcohol combined with aloe vera gel. You make your own hand sanitizer, okay? And it's actually cheaper exactly. than it's cheaper than Purell, and you know you can you can make it a little yeah. stronger. And no, no, you can't buy. Isopropyl alcohol to save your life. The shelves are empty. The toilet paper, we had to uh, use some connections that we have. Every day, every day you will you will uh, have that. I mean, every day is like this, or, or yeah, it's or been like this. Not there anymore. Well, what happens is they stock the shelves, and then within a few minutes, the uh, the people that uh, see it on the shelf, gone. they grab it. And 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 it's a there's video after video after video of this on the internet of people you know pushing each other and shoving each other just to get toilet paper because I guess when you're nervous you, you get the shits I don't know I don't get it <laughs> it's, it's the same situation here in Texas it's the the grocery stores will stock the shelves overnight and by seven o'clock in the morning uh, they're out because people line up outside to uh, get you know, get those supplies. Yeah. So if you're not, if you're not up at seven, six, seven o'clock in the morning and, and in line waiting at the door when they open, 
And it's funny because we uh, the other day I uh, I got to the store about ten minutes prior to the store opening, and we were all in line at the same time waiting to get in. And as soon as the door opened up, every single one of us and I got to tell you, there was probably twenty of us. We all took the same exact path through the store, <laughs> and we all went to the same we'll spot, the same aisle, to the same. Yeah, we all hands all hands were at the same shelf at the same time getting, you know, the same supply. And uh, within 10 minutes, we were all out the door with what we needed. And yeah. <laughs> that was it. The items that it starts are kind of getting into the psychology of, of people. <laughs> it was like, I mean, do we really need toilet paper to protect ourselves or to cure ourselves of of, of COVID-19? But when you see everybody else goes out there, then that panic or that fear of, well, if everybody else is doing it, then I better yeah. grab this toilet paper, right. even though it has absolutely nothing to do with anything that's going on. And I, I, it, yeah. this 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 infection is, is exposing so much about every facet of life from psychology to government, politics. It's it's really just unbelievable and like you know like luca has said in the end i don't think that there's going to be and i'm glad to hear that in in italy as well i don't think that we really have any problems keeping toilet paper you know necessarily in stock if people were were exhibiting normal behavior or or any other kind of food item or whether it's hand sanitizer food items or any other supply it's just the psychology of the situation where people see everybody else panicking and so we panic as well and now we're we're left with empty store shelves in your local Walmart, supermarket, grocer, whatever it happens to be. It's it's in a sad way fascinating at the same time where hopefully we're going to learn a lot about about all kinds of stuff about how to better better be prepared for something like this when this does happen again because it will. Yeah. And you know, uh, I was watching this video on uh, the 10 things that the film Contagion got right. And in there, there's a scene where people are in the pharmacy and they're saying, okay, the medication, we're out of this, uh, you know, medication for this uh, virus. And the people went crazy and they started filling their baskets with Purell and, and all this stuff, you know, that this is, when was this film out? Like 2005? I mean, this is a while ago. And it, it, we are kind of following the same kind of psychosis of, of I've panic shopping well, and panic there's buying. There's that saying about if you want to if you want to see what the future's like just look at Hollywood because they're making movies all the time and coming up with these creative things and you look like if that film you just and there's actually uh, any number of films that have been made in the past 15 to 20 years that exhibit a whole lot about what's going on right now yeah so if you want to know what's going to happen in 20 years i guess we can just look to see what they're making right now right yeah or at least after they they end their shutdown <laughs> For sure. So what's the next one going to be? You know, what's the next big thing? And I, and we talked about this in the last episode. Bill Gates put on a TED Talk back in 2015 talking about how, you know, the world is the next big global uh, war. It has nothing to do with missiles or, or nuclear bombs. You know, the, his yeah, generation. Yeah, one of Bill Gates' big things about yeah. clean water. And and virus about a pandemic and about how if you want to look to see what the greatest threat to the world is is a virus and and that was yeah. yep five and, and how, ten years and ago how unprepared we are as well yeah yeah we're we're very unprepared not just with our with the goods and services but financially as no, well no no with, the, with with but not only that with the, with our brain as well I think uh, the way of 
thinking, you know, as well. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're, you're you can, so you true. cannot think about. Yeah, you cannot think about. Uh, I, I, you know, to not hug a person. Yeah, for me, is this is you know, I cannot think culturally about ingrained. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Yeah, it's the same with shaking hands. Yeah, exactly. it also surprises me that, like, uh, you know, the virus started in China, you know, obviously months ago. And uh, as it grew and it spread, you know, it surprises me, you know, here we're talking about the thinking, the psyche that, you know, in the United States now we're suffering from, you know, lack of supplies and, and bed space. Uh, they didn't have the testing kits available. And that was a big thing. You know, why didn't anybody think about that? you know, two months ago when this thing was growing and have all that stuff ready to go. I mean, this is something that, you know, should have been, you know, disaster preparedness kind of thing. There was no, there was no planning at all. At the same time, in terms of yeah. the recovery from that, look at Hanes. They've stopped producing underwear and now they're using their cotton material fabrics to produce face masks for first responders in hospitals. Yep. They, I mean, we're going back to World War II and Rosie the Riveter here. We've exactly. got Tesla has, yeah. has mass produced, what was it, last I read, over 400 uh, ventilators or, or more than that. Uh, they're now, uh, I saw, yeah. now hiring. They're hiring people in their facilities to to mass produce ventilators and get them distributed around the world. Ford and GM have also joined the fight to start producing all kinds of uh, medical equipment so that we can make sure we do not run out of the critical ventilators that is actually the most critical medical equipment right now for this virus. You know, and here at, uh, at Legacy Airlines, you know, Rob and I uh, have been keeping a very close eye in the past 24 hours because as of Monday morning, the company in an effort to uh, stave off having to furlough, having to make drastic um, employee cuts to the system in order to survive and not have financial ruin uh, upon them, they have decided to create a couple options for their, at least their pilot group. One is a early retirement so anyone over the age of 62 years old can opt out for early retirement. And in return, the company will give them 50 hours of pay credit every month until their 65th birthday. As of this morning, I saw that the union that uh, is at Legacy Airlines has uh, anticipated about 500 people taking that uh, early out, which is going to help uh, not furlough uh, the junior pilots. A second option is there are temporary leaves of absence. The temporary leaves of absence are uh, unpaid. So if you're if you're able to take a 30 or 60 day leave of absence unpaid, you can do that and try to help uh, save jobs, save the opportunity um, to furlough. Now, if the country goes into a countrywide domestic travel ban, which has been on the table. However, right now, uh, President Trump is really fighting against that because he feels that that will be the last kind of final blow to the economic um, strength of the country. And so he's really trying not to go that route. Uh, however, if the numbers start to mimic what the Italian numbers have been, uh, with this exponential growth of the virus spreading, then that is going to have to happen, especially if the hospital beds 
become limited or ventilators become limited. So they're trying to prevent that. However, that is a possibility. Also, the stimulus package that the Congress is trying to get passed here, which is currently a bipartisan nightmare because all of this information that's coming out where the Democrats versus the Republicans and they're blocking this and that, they don't want to bail out the airlines and give them the 0% loan because they feel they don't deserve it and taxpayer money. And so depending on what side of the aisle you are, that's another issue. So since I have you on, on, the, uh, on the show here, Luca, how does the compensation for an Italian airline pilot work now that you're all under lockdown? Are you guys still getting paid or is this an unpaid time in your life? How does that work? Well, uh, in my case, I, I live in Italy, but I work for a, a foreign country company, uh, which is uh, Switzerland. So uh, that one for a moment, as I told you before, we have no issues, no problems. So uh, the moment we're still everybody employed uh, and the thing goes on regularly and uh, we expect to be paid, uh, what is it today, the 23rd, is it? And uh, a couple of days, we're supposed to have uh, our salary, so I will let you know in a couple of days that yeah. they, uh, they they will pay regularly. But this is how it's supposed to be. Um, I was talking to um, uh, a colleague, ex colleague of mine from Ireland, for example, and uh, they uh, are receiving approximately. I think they they are entitled of two hundred euros. Uh, which is approximately two hundred dollars, let's say, per week uh, for the next three months uh, to fight against this one, especially the people that are going to be, uh, you know, off work and, and offline. Mm-hmm. So those are the only two um, uh, two real numbers that I know. Uh, in Italy itself, I really don't know. I know Alitalia is. Uh, is keep flying with the reduction uh, with a big reduction of the fleet. Um, they have a social system here where they will um, uh, call the Casa Integrazione, which uh, is uh, basically money that comes from the government to uh, pay approximately 80% of the, the normal salary of, uh, of uh, every employed employee. Sorry. And um, so, and that one, but I'm not sure for how long. Uh, is going to be that one. It could be long years as well. Depends how much money they have in, in the, uh, at the reserve, let's say. I know the European community uh, decided to give unlimited amount of money to the Italian government or, or the rest of Europe as well. But I don't know what that unlimited amount of money means because it's a, it must be a limit some, somewhere, somehow. But uh, there are still everything is in progress because uh, um, they are debating, they are discussing, and but we don't have uh, a clear idea what's going on with it. with everything, not only the aviation field, but you know, uh, with the iron fa- uh, factories, for example, uh, that, that's a big, big deal because they're still working. Uh, doctors, they're working in a, in a hospital as well over times and so on. They, they have to be paid as well, extra time, extra duty. So, so we really don't know. I, I'm, I'm unprepared to answer this question at the moment. Yeah. Is your is your airline still flying a full schedule, or have you ha- have they cut back any of the flights? Because I know here I saw a, a thing with the FedEx CEO 
Uh, I think that if this was a last week, which makes it old news in, in today's world. But um, I guess from a cargo standpoint, it sounds like because it is so essential, it's still moving. Have, has your company seen any cutbacks in flights? No, uh, that's that's a, a good thing, let's say. But uh, but hopefully, it's gonna they're gonna be able to to maintain this uh, this rhythm. For the moment, we didn't cancel any flight. We have uh, we have 15 aircraft flying around uh, Europe, and with major contracts like with the Post in uh, in Sweden, for example. And uh, and for the moment, because of this kind of contract, which are let's say special contracts, uh, we didn't have any cutbacks, and uh, luckily. Uh, yeah. But again, like I said. Because it's difficult to move around Europe now, our right. uh, I have to position our pilots around or our technicians around Europe is is a major problem at the moment. So I don't know for how long we can keep going like that. Sure. Yeah. And do you have any look? Do you have any friends that are flying uh, for Italian airlines or or just flying out there in general? And and how has it affected them? Uh, yeah. Well. For example, I have a captain, a triple seven captain from Emirates, not in Italy, but uh, in Dubai, and um, yeah, he told me that uh, they cut down all the destinations to, to uh, Europe uh, a lot. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Uh, the only um, flights that are regular are towards Australia at the moment. For what I um, other friends in uh, in Ireland, where I used to live before on the Alumen, uh, they um, they are uh, at a dead end at the moment. They are everybody is at home. Uh, yeah, nobody's flying anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, especially that particular little island over there called the, the yellow man is, is isolated at the moment it's very sad but yeah. um like before you were talking about honolulu and hawaii uh, and i think it's easier for us to control the spread of disease because of course the geographically the geographical um location you know so this little island where i, I, I worked for the last four years um is also isolated and that this uh, the yellow man for for people that don't know is between uh Ireland and UK. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, you know what I was telling my my kids uh, yesterday. It was it was a beautiful day and no aircraft uh, lines in the sky. Zero, no one. Not a single country. in the United States, but here exactly. <laughs> so it was kind of a strange uh, view. Say. Yeah. Blue sky with no trail. And that's hit the news here in the U.S. quite hard, is all the canals in Venice are now, the water is clear, you can see the bottom, no pollution. Oh, yeah. And, you know, a pollution lot of... Pollution-wise, we're, uh, we're the greenest, the greenest uh, yeah. <laughs> country in the world, bro. <laughs> no. yeah. yeah, and and that's really also creating quite the debate here, saying that, you know, all these people that have been saying uh, global warming and pollution is is all bullcrap, and and here we are, only a couple of weeks with a with a quarantine and a shutdown, and we're seeing wild animals in in downtown Rome and in Venice and in Milan, and you know we're seeing dolphins off the coast of Italy that are coming closer and closer. Yeah. They haven't done that in years, and so this is creating quite 
an eye-opening debate for the future. And when we all get back to whatever normalcy will be after this whole thing is is passed, hopefully with a either with a cure or something. Um, I, you know, this is really going to start opening doors for the environmental community, I think, as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So the quarantine yes. in Italy was supposed to be lifted yesterday. It was a two-week quarantine, and, and you're still under lockdown. What have they been telling you? Exactly. This is, uh, well, the quarantine that we never um, had uh, a news saying that the, the, the quarantine will, will end that particular day. Uh, no, they, they, they kept saying we stay inside, locked in, quarantine uh, for, you know, uh, an undefined period of time. The problem here is that if I do quarantine two weeks, but my neighbor is not doing it, the quarantine will be postponed until this this uh, neighbor will stay locked in. Wow. And if you multiply this one for 60 million people, it will never end, you know? Right. If, 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 if that's why at the beginning we were saying about the difference between the the, uh, the political structure of China and Italy, you know, where you can lock down everybody in the same moment, you can draw a line and say, okay, we start from scratch, we start from zero, our quarantine, we start today and we land, we land in two weeks. Mm -hmm. But if you allow people to move around anyway, because of the freedom of this country is you, you cannot control it that easily, you know, it's much difficult, much yeah. more difficult. So the quarantine will not end until they they found a disease control could be whatever, uh, a cure for it. Uh, and that, that the quarantine can end, from my point of view, at least. I don't know if I'm wrong, but yeah. hopefully I'm wrong. So this could take uh, months, if not longer, to, uh, to kind of get back to, Correct. to normal. Really, everything is coming up and riding on a vaccine, which uh, I don't know if you're getting the same news that we are, but somewhere here in the United States, uh, over in the Northwest, in the uh, Washington state, they did try a human trial on a vaccine. Now, you know, as we mentioned earlier, uh, there always tends to be a, um, there always tends to be how art imitates life with Hollywood movies. And if anyone's seen the movie, uh, I am legend, you know, rushing a, a, a vaccine could be disastrous, a zombie apocalypse. And we obviously don't want that. Um, yeah. So. Well, to support uh, support this, uh, I read an article uh, last week, and they were saying um, a 75 years old uh, gentleman from uh, Genoa area, which is the north uh, northwest of Italy, was cured by uh, a vaccine produced in Washington. So that we're probably talking about the same thing, but this is only one case, eh? and uh, he accepted to be treated, and uh, he's at home now, mm. apparently. So we're talking about, you know, these quarantines and how America is really starting to catch up to the rest of the world. And Rob, you have some information on that just in, don't you? I do. I just read that uh, this is just a recent announcement and it pertains to travel to Florida, the state of Florida. Um, the state of Florida has issued an order that impacts customers who arrive in the state via 
nonstop flight from Connecticut, New York, or New Jersey. In accordance with this order, customers will be required to fill out a declaration form and may be screened by Florida health officials upon arrival of their nonstop flight. Customers will also be required to self-quarantine for 14 days from the time of arrival or for the duration of their trip to the state, whichever is shorter. Uh, let's see, this goes on to state that a company they call American has nonstop flights to three airports in Florida, uh, Miami, Orlando, and West Palm Beach. Uh, from four from four airports in these affected states, Conne uh, Connecticut, which is Bradley, New York, which is JFK and LaGuardia, and New Jersey, which is Newark. According to the order, airline employees, along with military emergency or health response personnel, are not affected. Um, if you're an airline employee, you just have to have your valid ID with you. Yeah, so that's so just in. So yeah, this is all in relation to the Florida beaches being overrun during this uh, voluntary isolation period with spring breakers, college kids that said, well, I'm not going to let this virus get in the way of my fun. This uh, from, uh, what are we looking at? ABC News a couple days ago, they talked a little bit about this issue. Joining us now by phone, Florida Senator Rick Scott, who was, of course, also governor there for eight years. Senator, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Well, it's pretty disappointing, isn't it? These people are irresponsible. They're stupid. They're selfish. We're all in this together, and we got to take care of each other, and they're not. So these people need to get off the beach unless they can go. Some There's probably times where the beach isn't busy. Maybe you can go then, but get off the beach. Senator Rick Scott, I think, hit the nail on the head with that one. How, I mean... This young people, <laughs> I think, you know, they think, oh, well, you know, it's just the flu. And, and you know, the, actually the common flu kills more people than this thing has. So, yeah, you know, spring break. You can't tell me I'm not going to be able to go out and have some fun. And this is like, Luca, like what you were saying, unless everyone is on board, this is going to continue to spread. And if it continues to spread, we're going to continue on this lockdown. And if we do that, the economic implications here are going to be disastrous, not just for you know the U.S., but the entire world. I got an idea for the governor. Yeah. Let them have their spring break. Oh, Why don't yeah. we just quarantine them down there on the beach? Let them stay there. There's beer. I'm sure there's pretty, plenty of Taco Bell to go around. Just keep them there until all this is over. And when you're out of toilet back paper, home. just wear it. Depends. Exactly. There's adult yep. diapers. They, uh, they do the job. Hey, <laughs> unfortunately, what are they going to do with those diapers? They're going to leave them on the beach. And then who's going to clean that up? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I don't know about that, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it'll be contained to one area and we'll know where all the, the, the new virus comes from, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, Alcatraz is a very nice place to put people that, you know, are not obeying the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the law. Yeah. Uh, if I can say something about this is that we are having the same problem in Italy with the, with the young guys. Uh, they, of course. I mean, we all been young, right? Probably I'm the oldest one between our four, us four. But the, the problem is that they don't think that they can affect the, um, the rest of their family. That's the problem. So yeah. they can bring 
the coronavirus in the house and they will probably not even, they will probably don't show any symptom about that because they're young and strong and everything else. But they will kill, basically, their mother, their father, their grandmother, and so on. You know, the way it is the, the only way they should think, will they really want to kill part of my family? Taking the, 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 the virus in the house like this, that if they don't realize that, that they will keep doing stupid things like this. You know, that, yeah. that is, is, a, is an enemy that we don't, we, the only thing we know looks like is that it's very contagious. And apparently it doesn't affect young people, but affects very badly, you know, people with the, with the, some previous uh, problems and also. Yeah. yeah. And I was reading an article yeah, yep. recently about why the death toll has been so high in Italy versus some of the other countries. And the article mentioned yep. that a lot of it has to do with what you were mentioning earlier, Luca, is the cultural norm of when you meet somebody or you get together with someone, family, friends, coworkers, you have this... A culture that gives each other a kiss on the cheek to say hello as a greeting. It's a very warm and and kind, loving cultural norm. And this is how they feel that the virus spread rapidly. However, the reason the death toll has been so high is because that you have a culture where smokers are a little bit more common in the Italian culture. That way of life of you know, you live a, a good life, you have good food, good friends, good family, good love. And so, yeah, smoking and, and drinking and having a good time, it's ingrained in the culture. I mean, that's where you get the best wine in the world, you know? And so to have that culture, to have that uh, smoking be kind of a, a normal thing, where here in the U.S., smoking has really become a taboo. Do you think that that's... A good contributor to it, in your in your opinion? No, I have to disagree with you this time because it, it's been uh, it's been a very uh, big taboo in Italy as well, especially in the northern Italy. Let's say um, I was reading another article again. Uh, maybe it's propaganda. Maybe it's not. I'm not really sure, but makes sense. Which the reason for this high um, number of uh, deaths recorded here is only because we are doing 100% of um, um, tests to everyone that goes into the hospital with fever with symptoms about with symptoms that can be related to coronavirus at least this is what they're saying on tv they said that we are testing every single one that goes into the hospital and not only, also on the streets, they do that test with the, you know, picking the nose, the bacteria, and they, they test you if you're driving around. Um, I know that this is not the policy, for example, of France and for sure not the UK. They're not doing that. They do only test if they have a certain level of uh, uh, symptoms which are not related to, well, could be not related to uh, coronavirus as well. But so it's also different policy. I don't know who to believe at this point. Uh, um, I think probably a little bit of every uh, of everything. Uh, you know, they were they were saying also 
you, you said about the tobacco, about the smoking. Uh, I was reading about the pollution as well. The, the pollution itself, the particles in the air can carry the virus around. So in cities where the pollution is very high, can be, you know, uh, the, the, the spread can be much easier than in a countryside. Let's say in the middle of Canada, in the forest like this, probably will not spread as bad as in the city. So I don't know. It's probably answered. Probably is is a little bit of of everything. I think I'm that a part sure. of it also comes into the demographics of of northern Italy. Is that just as a whole, a larger amount of the population is a little bit older. And I think that it's not so much about the spread. I mean, you guys can talk about all that in terms of the spread of it. But then when you're looking at just you know the unfortunate amount of deaths per yeah, capita yeah. is going to be a, a lot of it just because the demographics of the of the population is just older and because this virus does does seem to um, have a, a disproportionately larger effect on that population. I think that's why you're getting a lot more of the, you know, a higher mortality rate um, than a lot of other places. It's just because the demographics, not because of a cultural thing, not necessarily because of a smoking thing or what, you know, the population density. Um, although, because all that will will affect how easily it spreads, but just from a mortality rate, the older a population is, I think you're going to see the numbers are just going to be a little bit worse, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. according to an article uh, from ABC News, uh, dated March 23rd by Dana Schaefer, uh, entitled "What U.S. Can Learn from Italy About Responding to the Coronavirus," a new phase of the neuro novel coronavirus has started. Cities shut down, workers sent home, schools canceled, and so much uncertainty with the economy. There are more questions than answers right now, and the United States seems to be the one of the last to feel the brunt of the corona or COVID-19 pandemic. In Italy, the death toll has now surpassed that of China for the most in the world. ABC News' Megan Williams has been checking in with Sherry Preston, reporting for ABC News Radio Perspective podcast, and sharing what it's like in one of the hardest-hit countries. What's happening now is the government is saying that not enough people are staying in. So they have fined about 53,000 people since the beginning of the lockdown, Williams explains. Officials are saying... The U.S. is about 10 to 15 days behind Italy. So what can Americans learn from what Italy has experienced so far? The numbers aren't coming down enough, and that may be due to the lack of social distancing. While Williams says it looks like many residents in Rome are following the rules of staying inside, other parts of Italy are not. The Italian government has now threatened to ban all outdoor exercise if people don't start following the rules closely. Right now, people can go out to exercise, like run or walk within their neighborhood, while continuing to comply with the social distancing rules. A new measure has also been added, a questionnaire that locals fill out, signing and sharing whether or not they have been exposed to the virus. There is also continuing concern for those who take multiple trips outdoors daily. I think what they're talking about is people going shopping several times a day. They don't want that. They want people to go stock up and not go out for a few days, William explains. William said that from her perspective, the anxiety levels in Italy appear to be much lower than in the U.S. 
I think it's very hard to wrap your mind around it initially. It is not that people have any more answers here, but I think what's happening is people are settling into the day-to-day routine, she explained. Hospitals working under emergency conditions around the clock and concerns for economic future are all part of the new normal for most of Italy. So Italians kind of have been at the forefront. They're ahead of the curb with how to react to this. They're kind of getting used to being isolated, getting used to it. And Americans are kind of freaking out. They're out buying, you know, packages of toilet paper enough for a year supply and continuing to buy all this stuff, stocking up. Maybe that's a good thing because they're stocking up and doing, you know, getting ready to hunker down. But at the same time, I mean, I I go to go get the necessities to get out of the house. We try to stay in our car. We do the drive-through thing um, to to pick up a meal now and again just to get out, but we get out. We we're we're out and about. We're not in crowded places. We don't we try not to go inside stores or restaurants or anything like that, even to pick up food. But you know, we still see people on the road. I drove home from the airport the other day. I am, as an airline pilot, part of that essential crew. I do have to still go to work. And the roads were not the usual traffic, but Southern California freeways were rather full. And I think there's the underlying issue. And what, Luca, what you're saying is, you know, there's so many things. The fact that you guys are testing everyone, I mean, here, you could have a fever, you could have symptoms, but if you don't have a fever, the hospitals aren't going to test you. You're not going to get tested. As a matter of fact, I I know an aviator friend of mine who he had the, uh, you know, not feeling well, he was had shortness of breath, but he didn't have a fever. So they said, well, just stay at home. If it gets worse, call me. And then he ended up with some relatively strong shortness of breath, and he did get tested, and he's waiting the results now. So, I mean, it's kind of scary once you start knowing people. Yeah, and you know that uh, there are people that can carry the disease without any symptoms. That's the scary part as well. And there are many of them, especially the younger people. Yeah, yeah. So when when this whole thing starts to settle down and hopefully that'll happen very soon. What are your thoughts on what the new normal is going to be for at least the aviation community? It's, 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 it's hard to say. It's very hard to say from my point of view, because uh, uh, again, the cargo normally has to go, right? Passenger don't really have to go. This is the, the, the way how the, the freight dog used to describe their job. Um, but I don't, I don't really know. I, don't, I, w- I wish I had a, a crystal ball. That would be nice. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I think, I think uh, more than aviation, uh, I think people will, uh, will uh, socially will act differently. Um, Aviation-wise, is uh, I think we will start traveling again. The company will uh, will will come back. You know, if someone, some of the company will close now, but they will reopen after because people have the need to travel, have to travel for work, they have to travel for for uh, vacation and so on. So I don't think there will be it will be the end of it, but maybe. Uh, we will do it in moderation. Yeah. Rob, what do you think? Are we going to, I mean, I've, I was reading an article the other day that uh, indicated that uh, 
one of the international carriers have decided to sell their aircraft and uh, through a leaseback program uh, keep them flying, but with that cash from the sale of of these uh, wide body aircraft, they were going to use that to keep the company afloat for a minimum of six months, so that they didn't have to furlough any of their employees. Because uh, I don't know if it was Korean Air or whatnot. I have to look that up. But um, you know, what do you think, yeah. Rob? Are we gonna are we gonna come out the same way on the on the out on the backside of this as we uh, we were going into it? Well, that that remains to be seen. I I don't really know the answer to that question. I can only speculate that, um, you know, this is definitely a, uh, you know, a new precedence going forward. I'm sure that the, uh, uh, you know, the major, major airlines are going to have plans in place going forward for something like this because, um, you know, we nobody can sustain another situation like this again in the future. And the only thing to do is to uh, really just to stash cash away and uh, be able to fund your own operation. Uh, that's the way I see it. I read an article the other day uh, that Delta Airlines was hemorrhaging $50 million a day uh, just operating uh, in their current environment. Um, $50 million a day is you know, quite a bit of money. Um, and without a government bailout, you know, I don't know how they or any other airline could stay in business uh, in the current situation. And, and also, you know, the industry is like the Titanic. Uh, it's a kind of a bad uh, metaphor. But, you know, once things uh, actually, once people start to fly again, uh, it's going to be a good six to eight months before things are returned to what we know what was normal. Um, it's going to take, you know, six to eight months to turn our operation around and ramp it back up, get all the airplanes out of storage, get our buddy trained back up. Um, so, uh, you know, that costs a lot of money too. Yeah. It's, it's tough to speculate what it's going to be like. I think things are going to return to somewhat of a normal, you know, as far as ops tempo, people booking, just, it's going to take, I think, I really think it's going to take a good year before all that really returns back. But it's tough to tell. I mean, it, it, it all kind of depends on how everybody else in the world is doing, because, you know, a lot of our business, a lot of our income uh, for uh, I know from from a legacy airline standpoint comes from international travel. So just, uh, you know, going through very small little ups and downs, cyclical stuff in, in the industry, you know, it's always uh, a year to a year and a half before things um you know, before you see somewhat of a light in the, at the end of the tunnel, and you just hope that that light at the end of the tunnel isn't another freight train coming at you. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, in 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 terms of what we were talking about just a moment ago, uh, March sixteenth, uh, on an article from a website called Simple Flying, and I'll put the information in the show notes. An article by Summit Rahal indicated that uh, on that day, Cathay Pacific announced that it will sell six of its Boeing 777-300ER planes to BOC Aviation. The deal is set to be worth $703.8 million and will help the airline amid the consequences of the COVID-19 outbreak. So what, what they did is they basically sold these airplanes to BOC Aviation, and then they're going to you know lease them back so they get the cash on hand, and they're able to use that to keep the company afloat, keep, the, keep as many employees on property as possible. 
Uh, the according to Planespotter.net, the firm holds 68 Boeing 777s within its fleet. These are accompanied by 36 Airbus A350XWB jets and 20 Boeing 747s. Additionally, several of its 28 Airbus A300s have recently been used for cargo-only flights amid the change in circumstances. Last week, Cathay shared that it will halt flights to Japan amid the travel restrictions that have been placed in that country. So uh, hopefully this is a model that some of the other airlines here in the U.S. might have as an option. I don't know how viable that is, but to to do a, uh, a sell-off and lease-back program with their jets could generate a lot of cash, at least in the short term, to keep the company afloat, to keep the operation streamlined, and not have to rely on a big government bailout of cash, which is what is on most of the headlines here in terms of aviation news lately. And Roger, uh, you know, you you have a couple ideas on economically what this could mean for the airlines. What are your what are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't I don't know how many uh, good ideas. I mean, obviously, I think that just like all pilots. It, and uh, like all pilots with a lot of time, we all come up with a lot of probably dumb ideas or dumb thoughts. I am not an economist. Um, you, you know, I I think that, you know, I think going to what you were just talking about, it sounds good. I think that one of the things that's interesting about it is it's you still need to find somebody that's willing to take on that capital expenditure in order to shell out almost a billion dollars for some airplanes. And that's kind of the thing about this particular um, event is that this is a, a global thing. And who who wants to take on who wants to take on a bunch of these airplanes when nobody's going to be flying them? I think that's kind of a little bit of a risky bet for that um for that company that's going to take on that 700 plus million dollars because no one's flying those airplanes. It looks good for, for Cathay uh, because they get that money in the bank. But, you know, if you wanted to take any of the big three carriers here in the United States, who, who are you going to go and shop that deal to? You know, I think that the industry, I think the industry is going to come back and it's going to look a lot of the same way it did before. And I think it's going to look a lot different than it did before. Um, just because of, I guess, because of the way capitalism works and the way that people work. Um, and this is just, you know, again, from a, a stupid pilot perspective. Um, but I think what's going to happen is if you look at all the, all most of the airlines, they're spending so much of the money on, on stock buybacks and that's, that's capitalism, right? Um, you, you've got a company that brings in this money and and the pilots are going to demand some of the money and profit sharing. So you're going to give some of the money back to the employees, not just the pilots. You're going to give some of that back to the investors or the owners of the company, and you're going to try and invest some of that money into the company. And yet, it, and so the problem with that, while that's all great in capitalism, at the end of the day, something like this, this illness, this disease is not something that can, it can ever play into a, any business in a capitalistic society. And so what's going to happen, okay, you're gonna need, or gonna, you're gonna try and get the government to backstop you because in this in this particular case, I don't think that any of the big three airlines or some of the smaller ones are gonna be able to survive this without some kind of backstop help that's gonna come from the government. And you can look at that 
kind of going back to what Rob was talking about, you can stockpile all that money away in case this happens again. But can you imagine? I mean, let's let's be honest. You guys are pilots, and as you guys work up, you guys are going to be looking at you know a fifty thousand dollar annual check for profit sharing, maybe. And are you guys just going to say no? That's okay. I want you to. I, I trust you, the CEOs, to stick this somewhere in some bank account in case we get another virus that's going to absolutely decimate the world or the industry again. That will never happen. Personally, I don't think that that will ever, ever happen here in the United States in a capitalistic society. That's just people. That's pilots. That's CEOs. That's investors. That will never happen. And so, how this is all going to work out? You know, in the end, when the government and when the taxpayers have to step in, you know, are we going to to start, you know, nationalizing things again? No. But are they going to be more regulated? Because at some point, you know, the taxpayers did put the money in to backstop the airlines. And there is going to have to be a little bit of a fundamental change in the way that the airlines work because they are not like most of the other companies. They are considered, quote unquote, essential. They are essential. And that's kind of the section that I believe that will come back the way that it was before. People will go back and they will fly. I, I believe that that will happen fairly quickly. Um, I think that a year is definitely more than enough time for that for that to happen. Again, coming from an uneducated point of view, but I think it will come back. But the industry, the companies themselves will probably look a little bit different because we did have to put money into it from a government perspective. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because what the airlines do do from a global um, economic standpoint. But at the same time, we have to we have to realize that airlines are different in a capitalistic society because when this does happen, then they do need help. We can't and we would never really expect them to be able to shovel away tens of billions of dollars just in case this were to happen because of the speed at which it did happen. It, it, it's just not going to be possible. Yeah. Now, what that's all going to look like in the end, I, I won't even I won't even venture to go there. I'm definitely not smart enough to go there. Um, but um, I think that things are definitely going to look different from an economic and company standpoint for those few reasons. Yeah, there, there's definitely going to be some safeguards that are going to be put in place in the future uh, from the business side. And it's not just the airlines that are going to have to go through this because, you know, we've been talking about airlines and pilots and flight crews, but let's let's just take a moment to really look at who is going to be affected here with this crisis. You know, okay, so we're talking about airlines and bailouts and whatnot. And let's just say, let's just say Legacy Airlines uh, or any of its sister companies uh, decides, okay, we're going to stop flying for 30 days. Who does that affect? That affects the airline. Okay, all the the employees, oh, hundreds of thousands of employees that are associated, they get that pull a paycheck from that airline. It's going to affect the cities that are getting money for flying in and out and renting, leasing those gates, that operation. It's going to affect the contracted out ground personnel, the contracted out cabin cleaning, the uh, culinary businesses, the sky chefs, and, and all those other businesses that take care of catering. It's going to take care of the janitorial for the airports. I mean, you look at any of these pictures that are floating yeah. around social media it's, right now, the airports are empty. They look like they're abandoned yeah. buildings. So there's yeah, you're so alluding many to it's, there. it's far-reaching. It's far-reaching. Economically, it's, far -reaching, it's almost you know I mean? impossible to it's, figure out how many 
citizens, not just of the United States, but around the world, how many of their citizens are going to be affected if these airlines continue to degrade to the point of collapse, even if it's a temporary collapse? You know, another bankruptcy, okay, hey, that's a that's a financial thing. That's a financial burden on a, on a major corporation. And a lot of us kind of like, well, okay, you know, oh, that sucks for them. I mean, we just last week we were talking about how both Compass and Transstates have shuttered their doors because they've lost their contracts with their mainline partners. So, you know, there's a thousand pilots on the street, but what about all the other employees that they they employ the gate agents, the flight attendants, the mechanics, you know, all their contracted out carriers. This is not just a couple thousand pilots that are affected here. This is, you know, in the tens of thousands for two small carriers. Just think if one of the big carriers in, in the world starts to be affected to the point of they can't return from this financially, this is going to collapse a world economy. If we're not careful, if we don't put these safeguards in place for the future. So, Roger, like you were saying, it's not going to come back the same, but hopefully when it comes back, it'll come back stronger, at least from a business perspective. And that's going to take a lot of time because anybody that has debt that needs to pay down that debt, it doesn't happen overnight. And to create safeguards so that you don't get into debt in the future takes even longer and it takes a good strategy. Yeah, and you know, it's I think that it kind of depends on what you're looking at it. If you're looking at it from the passenger perspective, I think it'll come back and it won't look much different. And then the the part that you're looking at from behind the scenes, I think it will look a whole lot different. But in the end, I don't think that there's going to be any way for you to be able to ever on from just a corporate standpoint. If I if I'm on the executive management team of Delta Airlines, I don't think that I'm ever going to be able to figure out a way to to price tickets, to pay people the way the way that they want to get paid and return and return to stockholders and and shuttle away enough money to be able to actually prevent something like to, the debt that would be that, that's going to happen from something like this. Yeah. And yeah. and that's where I think that behind the scenes that things are going to look very very different. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, Luca, we've, uh, I know it's getting kind of late out there. You know, we've kept you uh, on for a while. I, is there anything that you can share with us about the outlook that you have, you and your family, while you're there in isolation? I mean, you have any positive <laughs> stories on, on how you're coping with all of this? Well, yeah, there's a lot of positive uh, things as well, you know. Uh, for the family really to go back and discover uh, that you we have time to sit down and read a story with your child or watch a movie with your child or talk with with your wife a little longer, you know, going to bed only because you're tired after your shift of, of work and so on. You so know, you're making the, the rest of us look bad if home. you're talking to your wife that much more. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but I have to say she's listening. That's why I'm saying this. <laughs> but uh, no, it's uh, no, it's the time. The time that you can uh, use your brain for other stuff. You know that uh, that normally till until now until uh, you know this this thing happened. I, I was into kind of a tunnel. Let me say. 
if you can pass me a tunnel where you go to work, you come back, you do your little hobbies, and then back again to work, thinking of the work of, of the job, blah blah blah. It's always the same routine. Having something different like this is for me is a positive, uh, positive thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, unfortunately, is the disease, and unfortunately, there is a bad thing around this thing, and. Um, it's, it's. I have to be honest. It's, it's difficult to find, uh, you know, positive things in a, in a situation like this. But yeah. again, I think I'm a positive man. Generally speaking, <laughs> I like to think positive. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. Just uh, I. I would like to. Since you said before that maybe United States is two weeks behind Italy in this. I just would like to say, guys, take it seriously. If uh, because again, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what to, uh, what uh, you know, how to react to these things. I just need to listen and and do exactly what they say they're telling me to do. That's it. I think if everybody would think in that way, we would be okay. I guess. Yeah. To yeah. trust our. Yeah. We wish you all the best out there, Luca. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, we wish you too the same. Uh, oh, I have a question for you guys from the United States, because here in the news that they were saying the other day that not only Tesco and and Walmart is uh, is being assaulted, but also the um, the uh, guns shops. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> guns are in Texas. Guns are deemed essential. So. <laughs> Their gun shops, gun stores are open. Okay, so they have to I'll uh, I'll yeah. find this link. Uh, someone sent me a video of how Texans handle the coronavirus, and there's these there's this group of people. They're at a bus stop, and this uh, poor woman, she's uh, standing there waiting for the bus, and she sneezes, and immediately the other five people that surround her whip out their gun. One of them shoots her, kills her, <laughs> and then they all spray each other with Lysol. <laughs> And then they put their guns away and they act that's like, the you know, it's, it's normal. That's, that's the way we do things Nothing around happened. here in Texas. Yeah. That's yeah. how we I do things in Texas, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Texas yep. definitely does have gun ownership in their blood, but it's an it's a national thing. Even out here in California where they do everything that they can to, to, to tamp down um, gun ownership and ammo and ammo sales, we still have um, lines out the door even out here. It's a national yeah. thing and it is very real, the run on guns and ammo. But yeah. why is that? Why is that? To protect yourself from corona or to protect yourself? <laughs> I, blame the, I blame the <laughs> Walking the Dead, the zombie movies. Everyone's <laughs> the worried about the apocalypse and yeah. in the end, it's, you know, don't take my toilet paper. Yeah, it's, it's certainly self- <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely yeah. A, a self-defense and self. Uh, we didn't yeah, want self, anybody seeing that. Defense. Yeah. Well, what's happening here yeah. is, you know, it hasn't happened so far that we've seen. Uh, but the looting was the biggest fear because if everybody's stuck in their house and they're like, "Well, hey, nobody's at the at the electronics store. I can go and get myself a big screen TV." So then they go break a window and, and steal. So they're very afraid that that is where society will go when the stress level gets so high and people just start to going, "Well, well, now I, I don't have any food. I don't have any toilet paper." My neighbor's got yeah. a garage full of toilet paper and food. 
I'm going to go to my neighbor's house. Matter of fact, there was a, a funny meme the other day. You know, one one neighbor had a shopping cart full of, uh, of toilet paper and canned goods, and the other neighbor barely had anything except for a box of ammo. And he says, why didn't you stock up? He's like, I don't need to. You got everything. He's like, yeah, but that's mine. He goes, yeah, but I've got a gun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think it comes back to the whole fear. It's it's the fear thing is that people go to the stores. They don't have the necessities that they need. They get fearful. They worry about running out. And so how can I how can I acquire this stuff? And because America is so individualistic and we're so, you know, standing up for our rights, standing up for ourselves. And well, how can I go about getting this stuff? And sometimes we we go down to this slightly violent route. A little yeah. bit, you know. I had I had a friend that said, you know, the three things: alcohol, cigarettes, and ammo. Those are the three things that you can trade for in a in an apocalypse, right? Yeah. Um, you know, whether that's trading it or whether it's using it. But I think that just America is a little bit different in that individual um, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and gun ownership and ammo seems to go along with that hand in hand. And there seems yep. to be a. a- a common theme as well, especially in some of the communities in the south part of the country, is that I've got to have my firearm to protect myself from my own government because my own government is not going to protect me. I need to protect me. So there's a, a big sense of there, there, no one's going to be looking out for me but me. I don't trust anyone yeah. but me. And when it comes down to it, who's going to protect my family? Is it the police officer who's got a family of their own? who's supposed to protect me from people looting my property or coming in to hurt my family in a time of crisis? Or am I going to protect my family? And I think that's where the mentality comes in. Because geographically, look at America. It's it's huge. This continent is is absolutely huge. So geographically, we're spread out. You know, you, you pull out the major cities like New York and LA and, and Chicago. I mean, where people are stacked on top of the other. For the most part, most Americans live out in the country. They live out in a suburban area where there's not much going on and you're not going to have a cop at your door in under a minute. Okay. So if something happens, there's going to be a large time lapse. And if there's, you live in a two horse town, you know, and the zombies come over from California and they come over the river to come get my stuff. Yeah, you're going to arm yourself. And I can understand that. It's not just about hunting and, and, and whatnot. It's it's there because of a fear to protect yourself. And that is part of what, you know, is in the the Constitution. Yep. The, the right and like to Tony just said, it's like we're, we're bred from the very beginning to not trust the government. And I think that's just something that we have here. No one else is going to protect you. The government's not going to protect you. And so you got to protect yourself and... Go buy a gun. And as we're talking here, as we're talking, Luca's sending me a a video of all of the goodies he has. And I'm looking at, oh, fresh cut meat, toilet paper, and pasta. You know, the pasta (laughs) shelves are empty. (laughs) Empty. I can't even buy this shitty pasta right now. Not even the, not even the, uh, you know, you know, you're, look at this. This is amazing. Yeah, but you have, you have to hear that video. You have to hear it. Yeah. You want me to play it? I know it's too long. Bro. Oh, okay, I don't okay. You can take a look I'll at that. I'll take a look it. at that for sure. <laughs> you know, well, you know, 
there just... are so many. Uh, there, there are so many. I, I, I had so many friends during this time that they were sending funny videos yeah. with the coronavirus and not corona and blah, blah, blah. It was just because we have so much time now in our hands that we can actually get more social with the others, you know, with the friends. Here another good uh, point, uh, you know, that we can we can spend a little bit more time with friends as well. Absolutely. Maybe not not face to face, but you know, like we are doing now. From a distance. Exactly. With at least at least a one yard. I have a yeah. question. Man. I have a question for you guys for for, for Anthony and uh, from Rob. Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe this is just because I'm lazy, but if I'm a if I'm a pilot yeah. at Legacy Airlines and I'm sick, I just turned 62, and they're offering a retirement where you get 55 hours and you don't and and you retire, but they're still going to pay you 55 hours for another three, six, two, six, 60 three per, years. 60 percent of your pay for who three years. The, who in the world would not take that? Exactly. Yeah i I have I I I kind of understand both sides of the story on this. And um, for instance, I mean, I fly with a lot of guys that are in that age group on the 737. And okay. a lot of these guys are um, are basically products of all the mergers, furloughs, right. 9-11 kind of thing. And a lot of these, there's a lot of guys that are just turning 62, 63 that only upgraded captain maybe two or three years ago um and then their previous pay scales were really low i mean we're we're at uh i, don't, I forget what we're at now tony uh, i'm year whoa, what is it year three or year two i'm on year two, um yeah. 160 or something like that those guys were only at like 80 dollars an hour max up until a couple years ago yeah uh as an fo um and uh a lot of those guys never really had a chance to recoup from, you know, the past cyclical uh, downturns in the industry. So they, a lot of them really are, are not ready uh, financially to retire. Um, a lot of guys that I fly with are actually going to be looking for second, second jobs. Um, now on the heavy side, guys flying the heavies, those guys, um, if they're captains, you know, they're, they've been making a lot of good money for a while. Cause usually if you're flying a heavy, uh, and remember age has nothing to do with seniority. So, um, you know, if you're flying a heavy, you know, you're, you're senior, uh, especially if you're on the captain side. So if you're captains flying a heavy, you've probably been there for a little while. You're probably making some pretty good money and you're probably ready to retire. And a lot of those guys already only fly as it is 55 hours. Or, or maybe even less. <laughs> right, because they're only working uh, nine uh, days a month or so. Right. Yeah, so, you know, so some... Just for, so, so for folks like that, I think uh, a lot of those guys might consider that. Um, but, you know, it, it's hard to put yourself in everybody's shoes. You know, it's the the our airline particularly have, has been through, you know, obviously all the mergers. And um, within that, you know, when they were separate airlines, they come from... You know the three or four different airlines before that uh, uh, separately, and a lot of those guys have taken a real beating financially and career-wise, career progression. And here we are, and we find ourselves in this situation. They they just may not be ready to go. Um, you know, so I don't know. I I personally can't afford to even take a 
um, short-term leave of absence. I mean, I would love to do it, but well, you know, that's a very obviously a very different story. I'm yeah. more like even so. I just looked it up um, on Airline Pilot Central, and I'm looking at just the top of the pay scale for a captain is two. 278 for a 12 year yeah. captain on a 737, which means that even it's, yep. you know, even at only seven bid periods, which is just roughly, you know, roughly 60%. I mean, that's still almost $150,000 a year, and you don't even need to show up to work for three years. Yeah. I have like those guys probably only, I, only been a captain for a couple years. Right. Yeah. You know? And when you have three ex wives and seven houses and like yeah, a sports yeah, and car, that too. And, so many. And like, and I understand, obviously, like you Airplanes, said, you, can, you, can, you can't put everyone in the same category. I'm just, from a large person, from a, from a 10, what, 15,000 pilots or something? Yeah, 15 plus. Yeah. I mean, how many, how many of those guys have been captains for, I mean, a lot of those guys have had to have been a captain for, Not you guys true. have a lot of junior captains? Uh, we yeah. do. From we do. The, the senior captains have all getting ready to retire. I mean, mind you, we've had hundreds of retirements every year, and it's ramping up to 300s, right. you know, in the three and 400 uh, mark every year. So there's definitely that going on where a lot of them have retired, getting ready to retire. Um, some people, you know, if, I thought it was going to be a majority of the 777 guys that were going to retire. Uh, and, the, and the A350 yeah, that's guys. That's who I see taking it. But now the I got an email this morning with a graph, and it shows 150 Airbus A320 captains have put in for their early out. Yeah. There, there's a lot of guys, too, that flew international heavies that weren't very senior, you know, as captains, or even very senior FOs that, that you know, are flying Group 2, which would be, you know, the Airbus and the 7-3. So those guys are, are you know, obviously... High to- uh, senior captains in the respective groups, um, but you know they, they don't were have the time. Yeah, exactly. As yep. of this morning, five hundred and sixty-three pilots have put in for their permanent early out. That's good. So that's that's going to help out a lot. That's pretty good, actually. Yeah. And uh, there actually Overall. there was an article about it in the Dallas Star that I kind of skimmed over earlier. But yeah, uh, eighty captains on the triple seven, thirty FOs put in for it so i mean yeah if you wow. look at the numbers of the fos you would think that there wouldn't that be that many over 62 but there's actually quite a few 30 uh triple seven fos 3787 fos 20 a330 fos um yeah and uh i thought more seven six drivers would put in for it but as of this morning only 30 captains and five fo because the seven five seven six effective immediately are going to be parked and they're just yep. early, early parking in the air. They were going to retire them anyway because their total time on the airframe was right. getting high. But now yeah. they're they're parking these seven five seven sixes at Legacy yeah. Airlines, and, and I know, uh, you know, I know a lot of those guys, uh, the junior guys at least, came from the Super Eighty. You know, so um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, whatever that really means it's just i think they're you know 20 years in the right or left seat on the super 80 going to the 7576 yeah now they're i mean i look at things a little bit i guess slightly differently a because i fully admit that i'm i'm lazy um 
And if I if I can if somebody's going to pay me one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to do nothing, but even then looking past that for a lot of these guys who I am assuming, I mean, let's make the assumption that they have done either in the right seat or the left seat. They've done multiple transoceanic transoceanic crossings, lots of international flights and the amount of work that will be out there for guys with that kind of experience, Um, you know, because obviously I fly in, you know, the, the the private, the GA sector. Yeah. Um, the demand for those kind of guys with that experience to just sit in the right seat of any kind, you could pull that paycheck and I'm assuming the benefits from legacy yeah. airlines and then go make, you know, another six yeah. figures flying when you want, where you want. Also, even yeah. though that's taking also, my work away from me. Yeah. Also, you just, you just reminded me that uh, the, uh, the guys retiring also would, you know, short soon start drawing from their 401k um which i don't know if you noticed by the way has tanked in the last couple weeks so you know they would literally lose hundreds of thousands of dollars just 401k wise so uh you know where where financially they're you know that's a personal decision the on what they're looking at because yeah. i, yeah. I think that if you're going to retire if they keep working if, they if you're going to retire, you need to assume that you're not going to be pulling from that 401k because there's no way that you want to be pulling money out of the market now from your retirement. You're just going to want right. to survive on the on the 60 percent. Yeah, that's a very yeah, common that, and big that's mistake. A lot of guys are. Yeah, yeah, that's. Right. But I think that's the problem a lot of guys are are dealing with is a, you know, the A fund has been frozen. Right. So they, you know, they have that, but you know, is that enough to sustain their you know, $300,000 a year lifestyle. Right. And then, you know, you got your tanked 401k and then also 55 hours a month. A lot of these guys that I fly with, they're like, they're kind of like me, you know, I need to be at 85 hours a month or so at my captain pay group two captain pay to, you know, to make it to, you know, 401k wise, retirement wise and daily lifestyle wise just to be there. So a 55 hour a month, um, you know, parachute is, is a small parachute. They might crash (laughs) on landing. And personally, they just, they have to be in a good position to be able to afford a pay reduction. A lot of people, especially in in the U S they're living pretty close to paycheck to paycheck because they've got these huge houses and and, Uh, brand new. When's the last time you saw an old car on the road? I mean, Oh, it's a classic, you know, it's like, (laughs) Your car's more than 10 years old. It's like a clunker. You know, I drive vehicles. Both of them are over 10 years old and paid off, and they've been paid off. Hey, you know? Absolutely. So. The 2007 Toyota. There you go. You got a new car, buddy. I had 2002 and 2004. You're just breaking it in right now. That's all. (laughs) If you don't have 300,000 miles, we're not even going to have this discussion. (laughs) That's what she said. (laughs) What do you have? Oh, man. I said, if you don't have 300,000 miles, we're not having this discussion. Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know. <laughs> so in all this, uh, in the wake of everything that's happening, uh, over at Legacy Airlines, they really were giving us many of the san- sanitizing uh, wipes, the alcohol uh, wipe tablet things where you, you rip open the pouch and there's a little uh, napkin in there it's, it's full of alcohol and it's to wipe down the cockpit and they were rationing those things out. They, they 
initially said, well, we're going to give you like uh, 15 of these a day and you, that should be enough to clean the, the cockpit before you get in there and wipe down all the controls and everything. And also enough to clean out the oxygen mask because especially on a lot of the flying that I do, that's four or five, even six hours long, you're going to take a bathroom break, a physiological break uh, in flight one or two every couple hours. I usually have a two hour bladder depending on how many, how many uh, cups of coffee I've had. Uh, during the flight. But so we had to clean out the mask and don the oxygen mask anytime you're above flight level 250 as part of the FAR regulation. If one pilot leaves his or her station, the other pilot must don the oxygen mask. Well, this was creating quite a lot of controversy with, hey, I'm going to catch corona because I'm putting on this oxygen mask and who knows what the pilot before me if, if he was asymptomatic and had it, and now, you know, even if I clean it, maybe I didn't clean it well enough, and maybe I'm going to get it. So the FAA had been talking about getting rid of this requirement because they're saying with the modern technology and the quick donning oxygen mask that we have in the airplanes available to us, you really don't need to, to put it on because they've never had an incident where during that exchange, it was required. So... In an email that we got just yesterday over at Legacy Airlines, effective immediately, uh, 14 CFR, 121.333, subpart Charlie, part 2, part India, part Alpha, indicates that the use of the O2 mask above flight level 250 when the pilot leaves his or her station has changed. Effective immediately, pilots are not required to don an O2 mask on our aircraft when one pilot leaves his or her station and the aircraft is at or below flight level 410. However, the regulation still requires that one pilot to always wear the O2 mask whenever operating above flight level 410. So in an effort to minimize the potential for cross-contamination, they have removed this FAR literally overnight. I mean, we've been talking about this for years. Oh, they're getting rid of this reg. You know, it's a wasted reg, and half the people don't wear it. But if you have a an FAA jump seater, they'll violate you if you don't put it on and wear it appropriately the whole time and all this. And so it's it's been a back-and-forth debate amongst the pilot uh, community. And now, effective immediately, it, you no longer have to wear the O2 mask when the other pilot goes to the bathroom below 410. Good. Do you even have that in Italy? Same reg? Uh, no, the regulation was the same. Uh, plus, we have uh, when uh, one of the pilots leaves the station, uh, has to be substituted by um, a flight attendant. So yes. somebody has to be in the cockpit together with the, with the single pilot. Yeah, yeah, we have that. Uh, but they actually, I, for, I forgot, I forgot to tell you to mention that before. But um, some of the authorities in in Europe were. You know, we are going under the EASA regulation, which is the FARS, the United States FARS, let's say. But the EASA regulations, uh, we are all the, the European countries um, in it, but each country can deliver, uh, can deliver different rules uh, within the states. So um, today, I received. Ireland authorities extend the licenses. Let's say that this in this period your license will expire. That uh, you know I had to go to for the renewal of the license, the LPC or the OPC and so on. And uh, well, you can still operate with your license expired now. 
Ah. And uh, same thing, yeah, same thing about the medical. Uh, so if it's expiring these days, I don't know the window, but I think it's up to uh, the end of May, for what I recall. So until the end of May, all the pilots, they, they, they have the licenses expiring, medical or flying license, they, they can carry on uh, with their uh, in some of the country, not in all of them, but in some of them. Have yeah. you heard anything about that here? Tony, no, the what? no I, I haven't. Because um, I've kind of wondered about sorry. it. Like, if I had to go renew my medical right now, that would be the farthest thing that I wanted to do. Right. Like, with doctor's offices of or trying to trying to even make an appointment just to renew my medical so that I could actually legally do my job. And I've kind of wondered if there would be some relief. Like, I guess you, you were just saying that, that Europe might have something started with that. Because the last thing I want to do right now is have to worry about going to a doctor's office to get my medical renewed. Yeah. Well, I guarantee you that's going to be a situation that comes up here because in the U.S. our medical expires at the end of the month. And we have now been in this reduction of flying for a little bit over two weeks. So any pilot this month that has a medical uh, certificate that is going to expire at the end of uh, March could potentially not be legal to fly. and until that starts to happen, I really don't know uh, if those kind of regulations will appear here in the U.S. as well with the FAA to give a waiver to a pilot whose maybe their license or their, their qualification or their medical certificate um, has expired within this period of, of what we're calling the COVID crisis. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'd be interested to see if the U.S. follows suit as some of the European partners uh, to extend a waiver of legality to pilots who have an uh, accumulated an expired license because they can't get in uh, to either get recalled or an expired medical because they can't get in to see an FAA medical doctor. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens here in the near future. Well, you know, uh, gentlemen, it has been an absolute honor to be able to look at all of you through this conference Skype call that we have going on here and to, to have a discussion about how this, this COVID-19 crisis is affecting our journeys in aviation, the airline industry from our perspective. And, you know, what a, what a treat to be able to, to all have schedules right now where we don't have to be out there, you know, punching the clock and we can have these kind of discussions. So I want to thank you all hey. very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us on, Tony. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes episode 34 of Squawk Ident. I'd like to take this opportunity on behalf of all of us here at Squawk Ident and the Squawk Ident crew to thank all the frontline workers out there doing their part to keep us all safe in the wake of all of what's going on. Thank you to the doctors, the nurses, the medical techs, the pharmacists, and all the other essential workers out there that show up every day to work and do their part. I truly do hope that you are enjoying Squawk Ident Podcast. If you'd like to visit our website, you can find us at www.aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. There you can check out episode cover art, episode archives, the pilot shop, and you can leave audio feedback as well. 
You can also contribute to the show and help us out with equipment, software expenses, and marketing expenses as well by becoming a producer of Squawk Ident, either with a one-time or monthly contribution. And now, check out the Flightline Photos tab. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter users can also search Squawk Ident Podcast or Aviator Tony and Squawk Ident to follow on the socials. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate if you could just spend a moment and leave us a review, a like, and a share. In closing, I'd like to say thank you for taking the time to listen to this grateful aviator. Keep the dirty side down out there, be safe, and most importantly, take care of each other. (laughs) 